This is the Black Hole Podcast with host Ryan Millsap. With a vision of how real estate could turn into movies and how movies could turn into money, Millsap set out to build the state's largest film complex. After checking that box, Millsap returned to his entrepreneurial roots, where real estate ventures, entertainment opportunities, nonprofit support, and golf course business deals rule the day. What's next for Ryan Millsap? Listen up, and you'll find out. So this is a pop-up interview with Andrew Satinoff, owner of North Creative. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for having me. Totally random that we did this, but uh, the conversation was very interesting, so we thought we'd record some of it. Tell us a little bit about North Creative to start. Uh, North Creative has been around since 2005. Uh, we do a lot of agency work, network work, um, and some corporate videos here and again, but mostly agency uh, broadcast work. And so you started it originally to fill in a, a niche. Is that what was the what was the idea behind starting it? Uh, well, I've been in the area for almost thirty years. Moved here in nineteen ninety four. Uh, worked at a few post houses in town, and uh, it just got to the point where I was ready to dive into my own venture. And uh, I did that in two thousand five. And uh, you know, my client base supported it, and uh, a lot of loyal clients and. It, the business grew from there. We do uh, editorial, color correction, uh, audio mixing. So basically all aspects of post-production. When did you start renting space to other people? Um, I have uh, two tenants, Jimmy Guthrie and Seth Cohen. They have their own uh, audio uh, mixing rooms downstairs in my building. Uh, and then uh, the rest of the suites are used by myself and other editors. Got it. And so w tell me about the trends that you've seen, some of the major trends you've seen from when you started until today. And, and Well, my first suite that I built cost over a half million dollars for one suite. Uh, That's now, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Now you could do it all on a laptop. Yeah. Maybe yeah. on an iPhone. Yeah. You know, and there's Moore's Law, which is, you know, every year storage gets cheaper. And so and, and equipment follows. It's the hardware. Uh, and software has also gotten a lot cheaper. If you look at what Blackmagic has done with, uh, with DaVinci Resolve, uh, you can get it for free. Uh, and if you want to pay for it and get the full unlocked version, it's $300 perpetual. It's not monthly, yearly, anything like that. And it's very powerful software. Um, but even, even when I first started, I was on Avid DS, uh, when I had my own suite in 2005. And before that I was in meeting poser version one all the way back in 1993, uh, from $500,000 to now where you can do something similar from back then to now, uh, for 5,000, you know, with hardware and everything included is that's how it's changed a lot. People can work from home a lot easier now with fiber. Um, obviously, you know, a studio is still needed because you need monitoring. You need to be able to read scopes. You need to have lighting proper. You need to have, you know, sound properly uh, monitored in the room. But a lot of it is being done from home now. So, you know, it's, it's made it a lot easier for a lot of creatives uh, to get into the industry and do a lot of work. What have you seen in Atlanta? Like, what's that growth been like? I mean, what, what originally did you see what was fueling this growth? You said a lot of corporate and yeah. then um, 
How has that growth continued to happen in Atlanta? And then where do we sit today? It's it's interesting what's happened uh, over the last even five to 10 years. Um, agencies have now had their own systems been brought in, um, their own editors brought in, they're building their own facilities in-house. Uh, they still need places like us for high-end work, uh, color correction, that sort of thing. But for, for starting offline editorial, a lot of them do it in-house uh, and then come to us for finishing. We do a lot of that, a lot of finishing work. Um, but because of those costs, uh, they've been agencies have been able to bring a lot of stuff in house, a lot of work in house, and same with the networks. Um, it, it is going to be changing here very soon uh, with a lot of layoffs coming up. What's driving the lay? You think layoffs in Atlanta specifically? Uh, in Atlanta, yeah, uh, with Discovery purchasing uh, Warner Brothers, Warner Media from uh, AT and T, they are looking strictly at costs, from what I understand, and that's it. And Netflix is also having their issues with their debt load. Uh, and Discovery has looked at the debt that AT&T brought on. And they've, they have to cut at least $3 billion out of their budget very soon. Uh, I've heard by the end of the year. So the easiest way to do that is to lay people off, unfortunately. And I think Atlanta is going to get hit pretty hard soon. It's already happened two weeks ago. They laid off about 100 people. Um, and I think it's going to continue for the next couple of weeks. There's going to be... There's gonna be a flood of talent to be uh, in the open market very soon. What do you think that, I mean, where's that talent going to go? What other, what other workers here in Atlanta? That's a great question. I don't know because uh, the movie industry here is very strong as far as production goes, but as far as post-production goes, um, they usually don't stay here, which makes sense. I understand it. And I know they do get tax credits now for uh, post-production, but who wants to stay away from their family after being, producing a movie, shooting a movie here in Atlanta, and then here for upwards of six months to a year editing. You just don't want to do that. Yeah, the key what you said is stay away from their family. And what that what that's indicative of is the fact that the money that's financing this stuff and most of the high-end, you know, the, the, the above-the-line people, actors, directors, producers, are still all from out of state. Right, most from L.A. And let's be honest, if you're in L.A., you've got nice weather, you've got the beach. Atlanta's great. I mean, but, listen, if you're uh, paying those California taxes, you better take advantage of all the good things. It, there. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There's a lot of negatives in California. Trust me, I lived there oh, a, long, sure. a long, long time, but yeah. the weather is not one of them. The weather is fantastic. The weather is fantastic. I was out there two weeks ago visiting clients, and um, it was really nice. I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't enjoy looking at my hotel bill, seeing all the fees and taxes on there, and going to lunch and have it cost $60 for a sandwich, but... You know, uh, the beach was great. The weather was beautiful. It is true. You can't look at the bills. It's kind of like yeah. going to St. Bart's or, you know, you just, exactly. I, I had a buddy, I remember the first time I was going to St. Bart's and he said to me, he said, all right, so I'm going to teach you some important lessons, which would apply to LA too, right? Yeah. You could just take this and say the same to saying that somebody going to LA he said, now when you get a bill, you don't look at it. You just put down your credit card, right. you sign it. Yeah. And you move on with your day. You enjoy your vacation. And when you get back from your vacation, when your credit card bill comes, you don't look at it. You just hand it to your assistant and you say, please pay this. Right. And when she looks at you and says, well, have you looked at it? I said, no, no, no. There is no price for paradise. That's right. That's exact, that is exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. I thought yep. that was the funniest line. Yeah. yeah. You just go into that vacation knowing that you're going to be spending money that you know, you're going to enjoy. Yeah. And don't, you just don't look at it on the back end if yeah. you possibly if you're, can. If you're yeah. auditing, none of it makes it, you're like $60 for a hamburger? Yeah. yeah. Well, so 
your read, what's going to happen here at North Creative with uh, go, what, what you think's going on with Turner and Discovery and all of this crazy layoffs? I mean, what kind of impact is that going to have on? It's going to have an impact right now. I mean, they, they cut all their budgets back in May to not allow anything to go out of house. Uh, they've cut their productions back to basically nothing. Um, they're, they're just trying to find their footing right now. And it's going to take time. It's just, it's going to take time to figure out where they wind up at the end of all this. And they're going to have to wait for the dust to settle, see who's left and what productions they have that they're going to be doing in 2023. Um, as far as North Grave is concerned, you know, we have other clients and we're doing fine. And, um, you know, we hope to be able to work with Warner again, but we'll have to wait and see what happens on the back end of this. Where do you think all this talent goes that if, if they're going to lay off all this talent, do you think we keep them in Atlanta or you think they're going to be driven other places? That's going to be, that's going to be difficult. That's going to be very, very difficult. If there is the amount of people uh, that I'm unfortunately thinking are going to get laid off, it's going to be hard to support all of them in the city. It's going to be very, very difficult. It's going to have to be, if you want to stay in the industry, you may have to go out to LA or New York. Um, there is a good job market in LA right now. I know that. Um, but for post-production here in Atlanta, it's going to be very, very difficult to support the amount of people that may lose their jobs over there. Unfortunately. Yeah. Do you see a big difference in pay between LA and Atlanta for these kind of jobs? Um, for what I've seen, not, uh, not enough. There should be a much higher, uh, compensation amount given out in LA just because of the cost of living out there. I mean, to be in Atlanta, the cost of living here is one of the lowest in the country. Um, and LA is one of the most expensive in the country, but I'm not seeing enough of a, of a gap uh, for compensation out there. Well, in a lot of these jobs and in all across the entertainment industry, these, the wages are set by LA and New York. Right. But then if you can figure out a way to do those same jobs in Atlanta, and you make LA or New York wages, your life here is fantastic. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So the, the difficulty is not necessarily that they're not paying LA wages. It's just that the lifestyle you get for an LA wage in Atlanta is so far above oh, yeah. the lifestyle you could have in LA. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you take the same job and you go to LA and you have to live... In Echo Park. Oh, I was, uh, one of the places I was uh, two weeks ago was Newport Beach. And uh, just for example, I just for fun, I was looking at real estate there just to see what the cost differences are. And I was, I, I knew it was a lot. I couldn't believe what I saw though. I mean, there was places not even on the beach, like a couple miles inland that you're talking 1,200 square foot, two bedroom for two and a half million dollars. And I'm like, for two and a half million dollars in Atlanta, you can get a, I mean, 7,000 square foot home on a half acre of land. In LA, exactly. you get a closet. <laughs> well, we, you know, my friends who from California who come visit for the first times are just blown away. Yeah. And when I start explaining to them, like, the cost of living here and cost of housing here and what you get for your money, I mean, basically, for Californians, everything in Georgia feels free. Yeah. And same with the Northeast. People who come from the Northeast, same, very similar. Same. Yeah. Now, we start, we're starting to see some of that push out. Like, you think of, like, even rents, right? I, I used to own a lot of apartments. And when I first started buying apartments in Atlanta, you could rent a really nice apartment for like 800 bucks a month. Yeah. Today, I don't think you can rent that same apartment for under 2000 No, I don't think so. 
So, you know, just, you know, that, that's been, had a huge shift. And a lot of that, that has been driven by the fact that you have so many people immigrating from the North and from the West who are accustomed to paying much higher rents to whom $2,000 a month feels like it's free. Well, and there's a lot of people that have moved into Atlanta, Nashville because of the cost of living and because they can work remotely now. Uh, COVID changed the world. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to take time for it to go back to where, you know, everyone wants to come in the office and, you know, collaborate that way. Have you, have you seen what's going on down at Trillith? And I know, uh, you know, Disney's signed some big lease down there. Yeah. And then, you know, NBC Universal signed the huge lease yep. out at the GM Motors plant. Yep. I don't think those are just for physical production, like, you know, uh, just for the actual um, camera work. I do think they're trying to build out facilities that include post-production. NBC Universal is, uh, from what I understand, they are trying to build post-production over there, that, which would be great. That would be great because there's going to be people who are going to need jobs. Um, the sooner they can build out, the better. Yeah, I mean, that's probably you know, 18 months it's away. It's going to be a while um, because it's a big, it's going to be a big complex. Big complex. Yeah. But um, I, I hope that there will be a significant amount of post-production being done over there because of the tax credits. And, and, and if these layoffs happen um, to the significance I think they're going to happen, there's going to be talent in town that can work over there. Whether they can wait 18 months or not, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but hopefully Discovery is going to take care of them and give them some nice packages and severance that they can wait and hope that that will support some of these people. It's one thing to wait if you know for sure you have a job in a year. Yeah. Then that'd be kind of nice. You'd yeah. be like, all right, I got some money. Right. I know I have a job in a year. This might be the only time I get in the rest of you know, my working life to take six months and travel or something. Yeah. That'd be pretty amazing. But most people don't have that kind of visibility. Right. Right. Where they know for sure they have a job. The NBC Universal piece, I think, is fascinating because I think it's been so undercovered. It, it hasn't been it hasn't been covered well by the media, in the sense that it was it's a huge huge deal for Atlanta. Yeah, that they signed a, a what I've been told is an authentic ten year lease, without any ways to get out of it, where they are committed to being in Atlanta for a minimum of ten years, and where they're trying to build out a facility that looks a lot like uh, Universal Studios in Hollywood. Right, that's what I've heard too, and uh, you know. My building here where I am uh, is a great location, but if NBC Universal came to me and said, hey, why don't you put North Creative over here and we'll supply you with some posts, I would sell or rent, you know, lease out my building and move over there to have that business, you know, automatic, you know, plus with my other clients. I mean, that would be a great scenario, but... Uh, well, and that's what you really want here, right? You want in Atlanta and that's what you have in LA on those studio lots. There's hundreds of little companies, right? Right. Like North Creative, right? That just take up residence and become part of the infrastructure that would of that. Be, that would be great for a company like mine. That would be amazing. Yeah. Well, and you know what we're building with Blackhall on the streaming side, mm -hmm. we're going to be in production next year and really post-production next year, because we need to roll out all of our content beginning in the first quarter of 2024. And so 2024 will be, be our big actual business year of, you know, marketing the service and getting a uh, subscriber base and rolling out all these, you know, productions that are, um, that are unique productions to us. And so over the next 24 to 48 months, 
we're going to have a massive amount of hiring going on too That's in this, good. you know, in this area. That's great. But again, that doesn't solve the problem over the next 12 months. No, no. The next 12 months are, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, I think a little painful right now for that time period, uh, just because of the talent that's going to be looking for work here. In Let's talk a, just for a second about the industry as a whole. You know, what I'm seeing is every year, the Hollywood infrastructure, the, the, the total amount of content that's being made just goes up and up. I think this year, well, there's going to be like $120 billion worth of content made. Right. And discovery is committed to increasing their amount yet Netflix is keeping their similar, but they're just keep continue to get more and more into debt. Yeah. Well, I mean, Netflix is making like 17 billion a year in content, right? They only have 25 billion a year in revenue only. I mean, it's still a massive, still a lot of money, but But you can't, you know, you can't forever spend 17 billion a year on content. If you only have 25 billion, especially with the competition, there's a lot of competition now it's, it's getting tight. And you know, Netflix just had a lot of layoffs past few weeks also. But in L.A. In L.A., mm-hmm. yeah. They don't really have a presence in no, Atlanta no. other than just like sending productions like Ozark to be right. made in Atlanta. Right, right, And I know that Netflix is in the process of building a post-production facility out in L.A. also. Now, that makes, I mean, yeah. that, that makes sense to me. Um, well, if Netflix is laying people off, is that, that's a Netflix-specific thing, but it's not an industry general right. thing. You think no, all those people yeah. in L.A. who get laid off by Netflix are going to quickly be absorbed they by will the rest be, of Yeah, they will, they will find jobs in L.A. The market in L.A., from what I've seen, is pretty good right now. Uh, so they'll be okay. Uh, and Netflix, you know, they, they're having to cut costs because they're spending so much. And uh, with Peacock and HBO Max and Discovery Plus and everybody else coming on board uh, with all their content, there's going to be competition and people aren't going to, especially with the way the economy is right now, people are not going to be spending on every single streaming service. Um, so they're going to pick and choose where a year ago, everyone was just spending on everything. Let's watch it all. But now with the way the stock market is inflation, general economy, it's, you know, people are going to start cutting back on that sort of thing. Tighter marketplace. What do you, what do you think is keeping LA and New York from just outsourcing, just like they're outsourcing their production to Atlanta, the, 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 the physical production, um, to Atlanta, mostly due to tax credits and, and creative base, you know, the, the, the crew base. What do you think is keeping them from just building massive facilities here that are all post-production where all those people that are, have those great post-production jobs could have a better life here. And then we talked about before it's LA. It's just, you think it's it's the lifestyle. It's yeah, that's really what it is. But you think that's what keeps people there? The the lifestyle keeps people there or they just don't know the difference or they, well, I think that once you, once you're in that area in LA and you've been there a long time, that's the, yeah, you know, you get used to the expenses, you get used to the government, you get used to, Tiny houses. Tiny houses. You get bad used traffic. to all of it. Right. You get used to all of it. Yeah. Um, and and with so much robust amount of material to work on out in LA, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of options out there, especially for editors and in the post-production field. Um, so, you know, right, but, and you get used to it. No, no. I, I don't disagree with that. Like when I was living in LA, I never thought about Atlanta until I came to visit. And right. then when I came to visit, I thought... This amazing town. It is, yeah. Um, and then when I lived here, I was just blown away by how much better the life was yeah. than living in L.A. I think some of it is that the executives, number one, don't have any idea, right? They don't. A lot of the executives live their entire lives in L.A. or New York, right? And so they're so disconnected from 
an Atlanta vibe or an Atlanta lifestyle or any notion of like how inexpensive it is to live a great life in Atlanta. So I think it's not on their radar. Right. And then I think the same is true for all the workers. Like they, you know, they don't have exposure to Atlanta to know that it's even an option. But if people were thinking they would just take all of those people making whatever under 300 grand Mm -hmm. and they'd say, your 300,000 in LA gives you this life that you've, you've been living. You take that money to Atlanta, you live like a king. If you are talking strictly economics and nothing else, you're 100% correct. But there's other things involved, you know? And uh, for the economics part of it, 100%. Everybody would be in Atlanta. This this would be Hollywood. That's what I'm saying. Yes, so it's, 100%. So, but I think it's... But I think the, you're t- the sociological factors you're talking about... I think are just lack of exposure, right? Because you can have the exact same life. Now you get seasons, so you don't get the, you can't replicate California weather. No. But but Atlanta has such mild seasons, they're actually pretty enjoyable, like for a Californian. Sure. Right, because winter is a sweater. Yeah. We get snow once. It's maybe six weeks. Yeah, Yeah. right. Eight weeks, whatever. And and it's fun to put on a sweater. I mean, in in, in LA, when a winter can be a sweater, you know, on the beach, they don't ever get days in the twenties. Like no. we, you know, we get a few days in the twenties. That's kind of a fun little, you know, throw it in there. But in the nine years I've lived in Atlanta, I think eight of those have had seventy degree Christmases. That sounds about right. I think last year we did. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. like the winters are really mild now. January, February, I could kind of there's maybe too much rain. I could I could go back to California or somewhere like sure. sunny for those. Who, but in general, like it's not that big a change. It's not like you're moving to Buffalo. <laughs> where Sarah's, Sarah's right, right, right. I mean, Buffalo yeah, winners. Syracuse, that's a different. Right. That's a that's a different kind of person. That that is a yeah hardy. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. This is as far north as I go. That's right. Yeah. So I think if if people from New York and L.A. who weren't the top top executives, I get it. Like the top 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 executives, their their sociological entrenchment is so deep, and they make so much money that they get the best of the best of the best of L.A. And LA's best of the best is pretty fantastic. It is. Pretty fantastic. But for the majority of people working in the entertainment industry, they'd get 95% of their life, right? They don't get to, maybe they don't get to go hike, you know, Malibu. Right. Right. But they do that twice a year. Look, if I was running a large post-production facility out in LA, I would say, listen, people, we're taking about 20 people. We're, We're moving to Atlanta. We're going to pay you similarly to what you're getting in LA. And we're going to get the tax credit for all the spots that we do that go out of the state. If I'm a businessman out there, I am opening a satellite office in Atlanta and I would have done it probably three years ago. I agree. Um, I think, I think that's you give them, you give the editors and the, and other people who need to support the facility, the incentive to move to Atlanta and say, you know what? It's going to be worth your while because you have a nice big house. You're going to have a great life. Cost of living is great. And you can fly out to LA and see family when you need to. Um, Which is easy. There's like yeah. 12 flights a day on Delta. Delta, yeah, direct. Although the first flight. class flights have all gone up a lot because of all the back and forth from LA. Yeah. They just keep just ratcheting that up. You know, I think I remember years ago before LA, before there was entertainment industry in Atlanta, I could fly out here for like 600 bucks first class round trip. Mm-hmm. 
And now those I think days are over. It's over. Yeah. Now it's like two weeks ago. Yeah. I didn't fly first class. Well, I, I I got upgraded. Luckily, thankfully, thank you, Delta and American <laughs> Express. But uh, yeah, I think a first class ticket was like fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars. That was a cheap like one. That. Yeah, I don't. think. That was a baseline yeah. price. Yeah, my regular flight was like six hundred. So you know, if you try to buy last minute first class flights on Delta to LA, it's like twenty five hundred to three grand. Really, I've seen it up to three grand. I'm like three grand. I'm not going to Europe. Europe is much cheaper. I'm sure. No, I won. The Europe's been the same. They, 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 every, all, you know, all, airlines feel inflation very quickly mm. um, for all the, you know, for reasons I don't have to go into. But th- you, you've seen um, the cost to fly go up quickly, I think, in the last three You know, years. when you actually bring up a point to, that just kind of made me think about something, I've lived in this city and worked in this industry here in Atlanta since 1994. I have not raised hourly rates or daily rates since then. They've gone down because of competition, equipment costs, all that sort of thing. Inflation does not affect this industry at all. We don't get to raise our prices at all, ever. Wow. I never have. All deflationary environment due to technological change. Technological change, uh, technological change uh, competition, yes. All but as you, as those prices as your as your top line revenues are going down, your costs are going down too. So are your margins staying similar? Rent is not going down. Rent's not going down. That's not going down. No, that's gone up for sure um, since nineteen ninety four. Employee and contractor costs are definitely not going down. Definitely going up. The only thing that's gone down has been equipment. But has it gone it. down so much to make up for it, or are you just systematically not, making less for the work you're doing? If you compare it to where we were twenty years ago, sure, it's gone down a lot, hundreds of percents, um, but not in the past 10 years. It has, it has not gone down. But what, is, what, I'm, what I'm asking is, is that translating to you getting paid ultimately less for the same work? Um, I mean, time-wise, it does take less time to do things, but then you're also required to do more because it does take less time. And the technological advances have allowed you to do that. Uh, plugins and faster computers and that sort of thing. When I first started, I was on linear equipment, tape machines, switchers, DVEs, that sort of thing. So for what took three, four hours back then now takes 10 minutes. Tumbling. Pre-reads back then where, you know, you never know if a machine's going to time right. So, you know, I'm aging myself. But, but so uh, are you getting paid the same amount for the work and you're just able to get the work done a lot faster? And so then the, the amount for the work has, is going down, but the time has gone down so much that ultimately you're still making more money. Do you think that's the translation? Um, the thing is, is that over the, over the past 20 years, the time wise, uh, 20, 15 years, time wise has not changed much because once you've been introduced to nonlinear editing, um, it, it wasn't that much of a difference when you went from linear to nonlinear, that was the huge step, you know, linear suites, you'd be charging four fifty five hundred dollars an hour. You know, now you're closer in the mid twos, mm-hmm. depending upon what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has not changed in a really, really long time. So circling back to my kind of original question about the economics, do you think you're doing more work for less money ultimately? Today? Ultimately now, yeah, yeah. I, I do. Yeah, I do believe that mm-hmm. because you're required to do more mm-hmm. um, because of, of the advances. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that... Uh, over the past number of years that you are doing more work, less money, haven't been able to raise rates, even though expenses have gone up. Yeah. And you haven't seen yet any of the inflationary environment translate to being able to raise rates because everywhere else, everybody's raising rates. Right. 
Yeah, and in every industry. Every industry. Not this one. I haven't been able to. I mean, I think about the difference in cost of employees in the last five years mm-hmm. and how much inflation there's just been in, in just, just wage inflation. Yes. It's been massive. Yep. Now, the difficulty of middle-class wage inflation is that that wage is what sets all pricing, right? So if the average wage is 50000 then the average rent is a third of that for a year. Yeah. If the average wage is 100000 then the average rent is a third of that for mm-hmm. a year. So, right. Right? And, the, and that, that translates into all sorts of things like milk and eggs and everything. You know, everything. everything. And so it's very difficult for your life to change, right, if you're in that middle-class wage bracket. Right. Because your labor is actually a primary cost for all the goods and services. Right. And so everything just inflates with your wage. Right. So your lifestyle doesn't really change, even though you're getting paid more money. But what I'm hearing is that in this industry, somehow the wages have not only been stagnant, but maybe gone down. Now, maybe they started so high that everybody just absorbed it and said, okay, well, fine. I still like my life. You think that's what's happening? I, you know, I, I don't know what's happening as far as uh, the wages go. Um, you know, you're always going to pay for talent. That's always going to happen. Um, you're always going to pay for a client base. You're always going to pay for loyalty. Um, but, you know, the, the wage costs, I still have gone up. Um, cost of living has gone up. Everything has gone up except the rates we're able to charge. So what it is is the entrepreneur is absorbing all of yeah. that hit. Yeah. And so it just means the entrepreneur is making a smaller amount. Mm-hmm. But because you're doing enough scale – the entrepreneur is still making enough money to make it worth his time, energy, and effort. Sure. It just means he might have to do a, have more making employees and making less, making yeah. less, yeah. making less per employee, making less per a unit of space. Right. But in order to make the same life, that means you just have to do more work. Yeah. Ah, uh, so see, this is where oftentimes people don't understand that the entrepreneur sits at the very, very end of the waterfall. Yes, we're at the bottom of the list. That's right. right. Everyone else gets paid. Yes. And then you take what's left over. We we don't get paid until everyone else gets paid and we get a little bit of what's left over. That's right. You know, everyone seems to think uh, being a business owner, oh, it's the greatest thing. You have all this freedom, you have this and that. It's very, very difficult because you really are on the bottom of the totem pole. Everyone seems to think a business owner, you're the top of the totem pole and everyone below you is doing all the work. That is just not the case. It's the opposite. It is a complete opposite. Mm-hmm. You're at the bottom of the totem pole mm-hmm. and hoping that everyone can do their job right. And then if there's something that goes wrong, you're the one to blame every time. That's right. So you, you take all the risk. All the risk and all the blame. Uh, the reward, right. hope. That's you right. hope you get the reward. That's right. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a little understood thing by people who don't, run businesses or people who aren't entrepreneurs where they've never had to make payroll. Right. Right. They've never been in a situation where they weren't making enough money to feed all their employees and they just come out of pocket and they start feeding it. They find the solutions. People don't understand. Uh, To get into a little bit of detail, I remember back in 2013, I probably had 13 employees at one point and me running all of it, uh, my payroll and expenses, my monthly overhead was over a hundred grand. Every month. Every month. Every month. Burn, burn, burn. Yep. Just keep burning. Keep writing checks. Doesn't matter if your clients haven't paid you yet. Nope. You got receivables. Nope. Everyone's got to get paid before you do. That's right. And there were a lot of times I didn't. Absolutely. I lived that life. Yeah. 
that's part of doing it. That's part of playing the game. But you know, that's what we do. You got to have a you know you got to have a a real screw loose on some level, right? No, it's not some level. <laughs> it's every level. Like I agree. It, it, yes, you you have to be some sort of one fry short of a happy meal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons why people become entrepreneurs is because they might be unemployable other places. Yeah. So they're like, I guess I just got to work by myself. I got to work right. on my own. That's right. If you want it done right, do it yourself. That's right. Yeah. That's that's my motto a lot of times. And it has to be. But yeah. there are many days where you think, God, it'd be so much easier if I could just like have a great job, wake up in the morning, let somebody else worry about all this stuff. I just get a paycheck. I couldn't do it. I couldn't either. But... I couldn't do it. I couldn't <laughs> but, do it. Yeah. Because I always thought I could do this better. And so I did. And that's that's where it started. That's the entrepreneurial curse yeah. is you're asking too many questions and maybe you're too honest with all the answers. Yep. And then you have a little bit of um, either, you know, haughtiness, pride, chutzpah, who knows, you know, some combination of all those things yeah. that you say to yourself, I could do that better. Yeah. And then you get crazy. Then you get crazy. Then you get crazy. And you just hope that your clients are loyal to you and they stick with you through the you know, the, the growth process yeah. and the bumps in the road. And, and luckily mine did, they, they stuck with me through the whole thing. And so, well, I hope they stick with you and that Atlanta continues to grow in this space. Um, you know, post-production really the place that we're missing in Atlanta that I think is going to change over the next five or 10 years is we don't have capital that funds these things. All that right. capital comes from the coasts. Right. Um, and so we don't have, because we don't have the capital, then none of the ideas that are coming out of Atlanta really are the ones that are making it onto the screens, whether they're television screens or movie screens. But then what that really translates to is that most of the post-production isn't done here because the money wants to see the post-production while it's being done. Right. And be around the post-production. And then whatever money is made from all of that viewing flows back to where the money came from. And so we're not getting the wealth effect in Atlanta at this point, at this point, I think once fiber becomes more prevalent in the area, um, once the executives out in LA uh, see that, you know what, we can save a lot of money by doing post in Atlanta with the tax credits mm -hmm. along, because look what happened with film, you know, and shooting. Um, I think they're going to see the writing on the wall eventually. I hope. I'm surprised they haven't at this point, but someday they will. And say, you know what? We're going to send a crew. You guys have to live out there. We'll even send your families out to live over the summer in Atlanta and do the edit out there. And you just hope that that will eventually happen. I think it will, but I, I do think that the real catalyst is going to be capital that's based in Georgia, right? So mm -hmm. whether it's whether it's NBC Universal spending a bunch of money to build a facility, build a campus, right. that's capital in Georgia, even though those profits would still go back to California. Or what we're doing with Black Halt, or if Tyler grows, right? You know, Tyler could be a catalyst, but he he kind of hasn't been to this point. Um, but something will have to shift that you know that really catalyzes. I think you know I think that thing will happen in the next five years. I hope happen. you're right. Yeah, I hope you're right. Well, Andrew, what a fun pop up interview. Yeah, this was fun. I enjoyed it. Well done. Thanks for um, popping into the studio. Sure, anytime. This has been the Black Hole Podcast. <laughs>